0: Hey, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Today for episode 444, my guest is Mike Jarmas, also known as Muzz. He's joining us from Lightning Ventures and we talk about a range of things. He's coming from the world of Bitcoin venture capital and we chat about Bitcoin venture capital, obviously, and we talk about this idea of whether it's fiat, is it corrupting the System in some way, or is it taking advantage of that? We talk about the general process of investing in companies, thinking long term. We chat about his thoughts on the problems of chain analysis, as well as Bitcoiner jobs, whether you should evangelize Bitcoin, as well as tips for founders. But before the show, a message from the sponsors: Mempool.Space is a next-generation Bitcoin blockchain explorer. It shows the multiple layers of the Bitcoin ecosystem. It's a comprehensive explorer. You can use this to target your fee before you send a Bitcoin on-chain transaction. You can also use Use it to check transactions now of course you can use it yourself without trusting a third party you can host this yourself or otherwise go to mempool.space now it will show you multiple aspects it can show you the mempool it can show you the blockchain it can show you second layer networks like the lightning network and if you're with an enterprise mempool.space offers customized mempool instances with your company's branding increased api limits and more go find out more at mempool.space If you're looking for multi-signature security for your long-term hodling's Unchained Capital can help you. They've got a multi-sig vault that's easy to use yourself. If you want to, you can go to the website unchained.com and spin up the vault yourself with your own hardware. Or otherwise, if you need some assistance, they have a concierge onboarding program where they walk you through the process of setting up a two of three multi-signature vault. Now, of course, you keep those two keys in two different locations. You have your own backups and Unchained holds the third key. And recently, they've got the Unchained Inheritance Protocol to make sure you're prepared for multi-generational Bitcoin savings. So think about that also, whether you have your stack, have you thought about passing it on to the next generation? Unchained.com is the website to go to find out more. This show also brought to you by Blockstream, who have a new community that they are starting up. It's called Build on L2. This is a community-led effort by contributors and companies building on Core Lightning and the Liquid Network. This is an interactive community platform where builders, ranging from product managers, designers, and engineers, can come together through events. There's a mentorship program to fast-track success, and you can join and build a community. You might be able to get expert help to build your project. You may be able to showcase your work to the community, ask for support. There may be even opportunities to connect at events or join a program to fast track success if you're interested go and sign up for this platform over at build on l2.com and now onto the show with Muzz. Muzz, welcome to the show
1: all right thanks for having me man nice to be here yeah well you know i've seen you around
0: at uh, some of the various conferences and you know i've known you in the space professionally a little bit here and there And yeah, keen to chat a little bit about what you're doing and also just what's going on in the world of Bitcoin. I know uh, you uh, were recently going at this notion that nothing's happening
1: in Bitcoin. Is that true? Is nothing going on in Bitcoin, Muzz? Nothing's going on in Bitcoin. It's absolutely dead. It's deader than ever. And and not only have uh, we hung out at some conferences, but we are peers because you are an active angel investor, seeding a lot of these uh, companies uh, with your own shop over there. The uh, the Bitcoiner Ventures crew.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, from us, it's uh, you know, it's basically a syndicate. We you know we invest along with our uh, syndicate members. We don't take any carry on that. This is kind of like. For for all of us, this is like our side thing right to our main thing. But of course, there are various ways to, you know, get involved in the space, whether that's, you know, professionally investing, developing, educating, podcasting, whatever it is. But yeah, excited for that. And I, I saw you had a great talk on this as well over at this was Baltic Honey Badger. You did a talk on that and um, about kind of the space generally as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's cool. Let's, let's chat a little bit about that and how you got into that world, right? Like, were you a Bitcoiner before you went
1: into that world or were you already in that world before you came to Bitcoin? No, so I'm a... You know, for, I'm a, I'm a 2013 Bitcoiner around that era. You know, mm. I remember that Thanksgiving uh, 2012 table where I got laughed out of there uh, by my girlfriend at the time. But yeah, that 2013 era, that first altcoin boom, uh, that Mt. Gox, you know, the Silk Road, all of that sort of world, that was, that was it at the time. That was pre-Bit license. And I actually owned a bar in New York City. We had the second Bitcoin ATM Uh, that was in Manhattan uh, at the time behind the one uh, in Midtown, the famous one there. I think uh, Charlie Shrem had something to do with that one. So I'm from that era as far as uh, Bitcoin goes. And um, I didn't do anything really in the Bitcoin space. I just had small businesses, had a lot of my own things going on. Um, I was in the music business for many years before that. And um, I started investing in private companies. Uh, in 2015. So those would be mainly late stage secondaries. And uh, my first investment was actually in Lyft. And um, I focused mainly on the late stage secondaries because I didn't want to lose all my money. And that's what people do when they invest in early stage stuff, they lose all their money. And uh, around 2018 or so, I met someone at a conference, I was showing him what I was doing. And I, I was doing pretty well with, um, with these later stage deals because we were in a healthy IPO market. You know, so the DraftKings, Spotify, you know, everything, Slack, everything that was coming out um, was good because you didn't have to keep your money tied up for too long and you would get a nice return. So he took a look at what I was doing. He said, you know, if you really want to do this, uh, you got to start doing the early stage stuff. And um, I I didn't want to lose all my money like nobody does, right? Uh, So started really getting into more education. Um, And I've been obsessed with it since I got going in 2015. Uh, But really getting into the education of learning as much as you can. And it's just, it's endless uh, what you can do when you really start digging into this world. And um, so dialed up my deal flow. And started investing in early stage stuff. And then I never really looked back at the late stage. That was that was kind of it. Once I discovered the early stage stuff and a lot of these uh, VCs that I still really, I mean, had the most tremendous amount of respect for that I learned a ton of stuff from. These are not the the Bitcoin VCs. These are outside normie VCs. But just learned as much as I could. And I somehow invested in... Uh, Over 2,000 deals uh, when you count the follow-ons. So a lot of small checks, uh, of course, And uh, you just learn from every deal. You learn from everything that happens. So, you know, if you get something sent to you and, and you read it and it looks great, and then you get those updates from the founder, right? And it's the hottest deal, it's the best thing ever, it's the greatest company. And then you read the update, you know, a couple months later and it's, oh, we had a little bit of trouble launching and, you know, we couldn't do some hiring, okay. And then maybe three months later, you get another update that's not great. And then eventually it's, oh, COVID, India, we're shutting down, dissolution, apology letter from the founder. Here's our learnings, which is the most important thing. All right, You can fail as a founder, but everybody has to learn something. And that includes every single person who invested in your company. Don't ghost them and just shut it down because you're going to go on, you're going to start something else. You're going to go on to your next company and you're going to want to leave things the way they should be left. So when you archive this stuff and you look back, you can kind of do this really cool post-mortem and you can go back and like, what was I thinking? at the beginning, right? And you get to see all everything else, uh, and everyone who lost a lot more money than you did, uh, if you're a small check investor, and then you can kind of read from these uh, updates, and then you can get something from it, right? That's the most important thing. So when you amass like a, a lot of experience from being in a bunch of different deals, right, that all go to IPOs and acquisitions and zero, and you, know, you learn a lot about the different types of things that can happen along the way. You're like this living, breathing API for stuff uh, that can happen. So I was really investing in a lot of deals. And I wanted to start Lightning Ventures. Actually, some friends really motivated me to do it, to just focus on Bitcoin, right? Because I can't really add a lot of value to, you know, uh, drones uh, that are delivering medical devices in Uganda. Okay. I mean, I like investing in that stuff. I love flying cars and, you know, uh, hoverboards, you know, everything else in the world, that stuff is great. But there's only so much that you could do, right? You have to have a specialized knowledge. Um, So we started Lightning Ventures to really just focus on the Bitcoin space, uh, which I know very well, and I believe I can add value to and really work more closely with you know closely with founders and kind of leverage the network. So we raised a small fund. We started deploying out of that. That was a very small fund, friends and family, and then started building out the syndicate, uh, similar to Bitcoiner Ventures, um, although we do have a carry uh, and a referral scout program and some other things there. And then just really focused on trying to get the most accomplished, awesome Group of people that we can put together, whether that's co founders of other Bitcoin companies, whether we invested or not developers, retired uh, cryptography experts, you know, marketing people, press people, lots of good lawyers, just as many quality people that we can together. And then hopefully eventually uh, leverage them to really add value and support the, the company. So um, that's really been the main focus, you know, uh, us versus these, a lot of other uh, Bitcoin focused VCs, you know, they, they really raise big funds. Okay, they raise big funds and then they deploy out of it. And so it's a different model. You know, we get, just like your syndicate, you know, we we get money from the group, right? We pool it all together and we invest and then we champion them. Not really like a single uh, GP who's going to maybe take a board seat and lead around. It's a different sort of structure. But uh, I'm working tirelessly. Uh, In the past 15 months, I think we've deployed about 6 million bucks, and uh invested in maybe twenty-five, twenty-eight or so Bitcoin companies and I love them all.
0: Fantastic. And so I'm curious your thoughts then in terms of as a Bitcoiner, which obviously you are and you know, listeners are and everything. I hear some criticism coming from some Bitcoiners because they they think of this idea that, oh, right, if you're doing VC, you're you're trying to IPO and that's very fiat. You know, that's like you're trying to sell out to the fiat or so in, some, in some way, shape or form. How do you view that?
1: Well, you know, this is kind of funny because uh, Corey fights this battle a lot. Uh, people seem to think that you should be able to buy Bitcoin for no fees. Uh, and unfortunately, that's not a very scalable business model. Uh, you can't just uh, hire and grow and do all sorts of other things and build and innovate uh, without some sort of... Uh, <laughs> Without capitalism, uh, so you know he he goes through that same thing with Swan quite a bit, and you know VCs are not all bad. Just like in every business, right? There's lawyers, there's insurance people, there's necessary there's necessary industries uh, that you have to deal with, right? And some of them have worse reputations uh, than others. Same thing with real estate agents. But if you're doing the right thing and you're focused, you kind of stand out. Because there are luckily so many um, not so great uh, people that you're competing with. Look, I mean, we're not saving the manatees. Okay, this isn't, you know, this isn't a charity. You know, we want to make money. We want to see these companies uh, become the future you know, world beating, you know, disrupting various industries, whether it's podcasting uh, or communications or peer-to-peer exchanges or you name it. You know, we want to see these companies succeed and we want to be paid in the process because this is all I'm doing for a living. I mean, this is all anyone who is a VC, especially a Bitcoin-focused VC. I mean, this is our job. So there are costs, right? If uh, if you're going to sponsor the meetup, uh, for the, the hackathon or your local Bitcoin meetup, it might only be a few hundred bucks, but it's always going on your credit card uh, unless there's some kind of fee structure. So, you know, a lot of people say, you know, VCs are bad and they're terrible and all this. And there's plenty of examples of, of terrible uh, VCs and unscrupulous stuff. I mean, sometimes a VC will give a founder advice that really just serves the VC. Uh, so you know you have to be careful about things like that, probably in all aspects of life. But no, I don't think that uh, VCs are bad. I don't think that uh, IPOing uh, or any kind of exit is fiat. I think that you know it's interesting because people call these things exits, right? You're waiting for an exit. What is what does that mean? So if you invest in a in a company and they're acquired or they IPO, that is an exit, right? But that exit is really kind of the entrance. Uh, for that company's life uh, as being a public company, right? So it's referred to as an exit, but that's really just the beginning, okay? When Swan does IPO, you know, God willing, on the NASDAQ, uh, and, and that happens, that'll just actually be the start uh, of Swan's life in a new chapter in the business, you know? It's certainly not a bad thing. Um, and if you want to talk about democ- uh, democratizing it, okay, and allowing everyone to participate, You know, let's just, without getting into a whole bunch of semantics here, everybody can buy a publicly traded stock, okay? Everyone could buy Swan if it was public on NASDAQ right now, all right? Not everyone can invest in private companies, whether it's the accredited hurdle, whether it's um, deal flow and access and all these other things, right? Um, Even minimums, right? Even if it's a $1,000 minimum, you could buy those $30 worth of Swan stock. Uh, in a publicly traded environment. So there's a lot of positives that come from that. I really don't see it as a fiat negative.
0: Right, I see. And so some of the criticism I've seen, and just commentary I've seen in the space is things like, uh, as an example, our friend Steve Barber, where he'll criticize the fiat maxis and say, look, never sell equity to a fiat maximalist, only, you know, try to deal with other Bitcoiners per se, because I think, some bitcoiners and you know i'm not saying i personally hold this view but i'm trying to represent that view some of them see it like it's almost like once you go to a certain level that it kind of corrupts the business in some way i'm curious if you see that or if you see it more like well you know the scaling and the benefit of that aspect you know that's that's just a necessary part and parcel of being able to operate at that kind of scale
1: well if you're raising money as a founder or even as a VC, right? Because a lot of people just kind of think that founders raise money, right? And they're the only ones with that challenge of raising money. But VCs have the same challenge too, right? We're in the same boat. I go through the same or will maybe if we have a real fund, go through the real the same struggle that a founder goes to, okay? So when if I'm pitching somebody to invest in a fund or any Bitcoin VC out there is pitching someone to invest in a fund... If you have to explain Bitcoin to that person, you're just wasting your time. I mean, that, that's just the end. It, the conversation has to stop right there. And now there's enough of a Bitcoin ecosystem in funding to where you don't have to do that. And that's why it's kind of a, a, a breath of fresh air coming to you know one of these Bitcoin VCs because we're not asking why Bitcoin. We're not asking why Bitcoin only. We're not saying what's Lightning is Lightning Bitcoin. There's no confusion. There's no when are you going to add tokens? When are you going to add these other things to if it's an exchange product or whatever? All that stuff kind of goes out the window. Now, if you're a founder and you're raising money and you go to one of these fiat maximalists, you have to deal with that person moving forward. Okay. It's not necessarily a marriage, right? It can be. If they're leading your series A and they're taking a board seat and there's elements of control and other dynamics that are negotiated there, it can be, right? It can be a marriage and they might be a huge pain in the rear. But if it's something smaller, right, like a syndicate deal or maybe a seed round or a little, a safe note, there's not really too much they can do other than just annoy you. So you definitely have to be careful who you take money from because they might just flood your inbox. You know, they might demand all sorts of information rights and, and other things, you know, even if they're not supposed to get them. right? So you kind of have to be careful who, who you raise money from. I mean, n- never raising it from a fiat maximalist, that's probably really good advice. Uh, the question is, is it that or you don't build anymore? does that then kill your idea or do you just wait until the perfect trusted capital partner surfaces?
0: Right, and oftentimes oftentimes, an idea can't wait, right? Like if there's an idea that you really need to get it delivered soon, speed matters because there are competitors out there, you know, or maybe this is an important project or software or some product or service that needs to exist. So maybe that's, that's part of the argument. But I think it's also fair to point out, that, and as you have also, is that it's not only venture capitalists, that there are other ways to raise funds. And there is also that option of bootstrapping. So do you want to elaborate a little bit on how to sort of see those different options? Sure.
1: So first off, Not everything is an investable business, or at least suitable for venture capital investing. And people should not take it personally. And, you know, it's never really a no. It's always like a no for now. Okay. And these relationships cultivate over years. Okay. There's so many mining companies that I've never invested in. We've never closed a mining investment through Lightning Ventures. I send them stuff all the time. Hey, this person's got a ton of miners. This person's got a ton of electricity. We're not investing in either, okay? But we keep a record, we keep a database, and we're able to facilitate partnerships and still be helpful to them, right? So it's not like a door slammed. There's still a lot of good things that can come from it. So, you know, VCs have to really return capital to their investors, okay? So if you're running some sort of obscure... Node management liquidity tool. that's probably that's still absolutely needed. That's awesome. You shouldn't stop doing that. Um, you should either maybe think about what are the types of returns and the types of a TAM, a total addressable market, how big is it, what else can you do to, to get this to a venture-backed uh, company, okay, or a project and whatever you're doing. Um, but just know that it might not be perfect for it, right? And you can go out to Geyser, depending on what you're doing, you can go out to other crowdfunding platforms all over the world, right, in in the UK, in Europe, in the US here, you can raise money in other ways, okay, you can also do the friends and family route, okay, you can do the syndicates, which, you know, I mean, it's loosely uh, VC, right, it's like a micro VC sort of, uh, sort of group, right, but there's many other ways to raise, and you shouldn't ever get upset when someone doesn't want to invest in your company. And I'm really hoping that through other things that are being built on, uh, you know, like the liquid side chain, um, that there's going to be even more access and more easily, it'll be easy to invest uh, as a quote unquote pleb or a whale or whatever you are right? Because they're going to cut a lot of these fees, they're going to cut a lot of these inefficiencies, this whole industry is littered with inefficiencies. I mean, it's terrible. I'm sure you have, uh, I don't want to say anything bad about AngelList, but I'm sure you, you know, you, you log into and you do things on there. And there's a lot to be desired. There's a lot of, there's a lot of upgrades that could happen to that entire process for a company that's worth, I don't know, billions of dollars, right? You would expect, I don't know their website to work. So <laughs> there's a lot of things that can can be, you know, upgraded there. Um, and I'm just hoping that it becomes more and more. I mean, since this crowdfunding has started, uh, equity crowdfunding, not like you know Patreon type of thing, uh, but equity crowdfunding has come a long way, and the limits are being lowered, and uh, the amounts that companies can raise are going up. So. In terms of bootstrapping, though, let me just say this. I don't want to talk all over you here. In terms of bootstrapping, the best founders um, do the most, you know, can ship an MVP with really no funding. Those are my favorite types of founders, okay, where they've gone from incorporation to beta and maybe they've spent 70 grand of their own money and they have a working product. Okay, that's great. And then conversely, you know, for guys uh, that want to buy a bunch of S9s and put them in a barn uh, and they want to raise $10 million and they've done nothing, um, that's like on the other side of terrible, you know? So, I mean, what's the old adage, you know, uh, ideas are cheap. Uh, Ideas are cheap and don't worry about the NDAs and don't worry about the funding, but you got to get out there and build something. And maybe that means getting a co-founder. You know, if you're a solo, uh, if you're a solo founder, I mean, two is better than one. Uh, A lot of VCs will say that I completely agree. Um, There's a definitely a founder makeup that's very valuable there. Can one of the founders uh, sell uh, and market? And is the other one super technical, right? Because just a technical founder on his own might have some problems, right? And a solo non-technical founder, I know some VCs personally that just, they won't even invest in it. So, just a few things to think about.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so, I think for listeners, they might also be interested to hear some thoughts about valuations, so company valuations, and across the cycle. So, maybe if if you could take us through, like, just for someone who's not as familiar with this world, could you walk through what are the different stages or the life cycles uh, involved in in typical? investing in companies
1: in this kind of realm. All right so you and I we have the best idea ever okay we have uh, rad Bitcoin company uh, dot XYZ okay and um, we've worked together before uh, we know each other very well we have a history and we start our company okay and then we start to build something. Okay, if we immediately go out and get funding, that's not good, right? Unless that you know you previously were, I don't know, uh, co-founder of Blockstream, uh, it may be a little bit easier uh, to go out and and uh, and raise kind of pre-work, right? But we build something, we get it working, and then we want to do a small, very small friends and family sort of angel round, okay? And then we only raise as much money as we need. That's the thing. A lot of founders are always like, how much money should I raise? only what you need only raise the amount of money that you need to hit the next milestone okay so you and i you know we need to hire a dev okay and we decide that you know if we can go out and raise two that that'll get us this one dev that we need and that'll kind of pad our cushion for a runway moving forward okay and then we're going to shoot for 500 users 500 people so where do we go? We go to Lightning Ventures or Bitcoiner Ventures or Oleg at Folger or somebody, right? Or maybe the typical, you know, Giacomo Zucco or Brad Mills or any of these type of individual angels who might come in for, you know, 25 or 50,000 or pick a number, right? It doesn't matter. But we start piecing together quality people that might be able to help us and that we're not going to get sick of and we're okay with dealing with. Okay, so maybe Bitcoin or Ventures puts together uh, 150000 maybe we put together uh, 50000 and maybe there's a few other angels who come in, and there's our $250,000, right? So that pre-seed is done, all right? Now, that valuation is another conversation, okay? That's that's a whole different different ballgame. You know, they've been inflated, right, while everything was great and money was cheap and IPOs and everything, Um, but in reality... It should be low. Uh, it should be no more than $5 million on a safe note, maybe, right? And that's high. Because if you're using real metrics here on like ARR and revenue, there's numbers, right, that the normie VCs use, okay? So if you're worth $20 million, you're probably doing 900 a year in ARR. Okay. And that gets you to a low 20s multiple. And even that might be actually overpriced. Okay. But at least it makes some sort of sense. And in the Bitcoin world, just like everything else with Bitcoin, everybody's wacky. Okay. And... Uh, <laughs> And here we go. Uh, you and I, we take another route, right? We don't raise the 250000 And we know that we're sitting on the next unicorn, right? This is it. Uh, or a, a dinosaur baby egg, as I like to try and find, okay? So we think our company's worth $30 million, okay? We don't just want to raise $250,000 to get to the next milestone, hire that one dev and go. We want to raise $2 million, We want to raise 2 million on a 30 million post, and that's what we're going to do. And that's a terrible strategy. That's terrible. So lower everything, raise just enough that you need to get to that next level. And by the way, after we raise that 250 successfully and we get, we pass 500 users, now we have something. Now we have an MVP. It's working. Okay. We have some form of product market fit okay now we can raise it a little bit higher of evaluation you know what let's raise another 500 or uh, let's raise 500 or 750 on maybe an eight million dollar cap i don't know okay but you come with a number and it's a negotiation and then you just take it slowly manageable steps right you don't come out the gate wanting to raise three million on a 30 million million dollar post money note. i mean that's just disastrous
0: yeah that's I think that's a great way to put it and this might be handy for people out there whether they are builders or just people who are curious about the process like what does it work what does it look like what what is this world that seems a bit opaque maybe to people who are not in that world and so so then there, we have this um these these stages right so pre seed seed a round b round etc and so the idea is that each round or each stage there should be some meaningful progress right like what kind of progress and steps would you be looking at? Obviously, it's kind of hard to talk about in a general case, but what
1: kind of progress are you looking for at each round or each step? So following on is um, is tricky, right? So when you invest in a company for a second time, that's generally referred to as a follow-on investment. And uh, there are some investors out there who no matter what, right, they invested in radbitcoincompany.xyz uh, in the pre round. Okay, if we fail to deliver, now if we burned that 250000 by the way, the first thing that we did after we hired that one dev was we went out and we dumped like sixty grand sponsoring a conference. Okay, that's a great way to just light money on fire that's not coming. We don't even have anything built yet, right? But let's just go out and spend and we did the t shirts and everything. So we don't hit any sort of meaningful goal. Okay, and now we want to raise more. And that's when you have to be careful. Now, some people call it, you know, bridge rounds, right? They call them a bridge round. And they say a bridge to nowhere, of course, right? So you want to be careful. You know, I don't even like the term bridge round. I pref- much prefer rather call it an extension. But if you're going to invest in one of those rounds, there has to be progress, okay? Now, maybe their revenue's up 5x, okay? Maybe their users are up, the charts up and to the right, okay? But meaningful, measurable progress, and then really looking at the use of funds, okay, what are you going to do with this? Oh, we're going to roll out this big user acquisition strategy, right? We need 500k to go ahead and get into full on build user mode. Okay, well, that makes sense. It's not that all bridges are bad or all extension rounds are bad, right? There's meaningful progress, the chart is up and to the right. There's a clear use of funds. Okay, that's a good time to invest again. Conversely, You know, there's a lot of times where things are not going well and investors will just even see a higher valuation. That's what's funny is, you know, there's a lot of ways that VCs chart their markups. Okay, this is kind of a contested area. Okay, if you invest in something at a five million dollar safe note cap and that company comes back five months later and they're raising uh, another round or uh, another small tranche at a 10 million cap, that is not a markup. You are not 2x on that investment, not even close, okay? And there are a lot of VCs out there who will go ahead and kind of mask that, that, you know, and it's certainly a good sign. As long as the numbers back it up, it's definitely a good sign to see these things increase, right, when the numbers back it up. But that is by no means an actual markup. OK, so there are just a lot of people out there who will just continue to invest again. They see that top line number. They think everything's great and they don't really do the research.
0: Right. And so I think probably a lot of people now are also thinking about uh, due diligence and what went what went wrong in the crypto world with the likes of FTX and so on. And I'm curious your view there. Do you think it was that everyone was just pinging off what what everybody else was doing? Were they just lazy? Were they saying, oh, look, Sequoia or some, you know, name your big name fund or, you know, Tamasek, that Singaporean fund that, oh, look, they must have done a lot of due diligence. I'm just going to piggyback off their due diligence. I'm just going to run into this round. So I'm curious if that's what you think happened or something
1: else. Well, now that's interesting. And in the industry, um, that's called signaling. So if anyone doesn't know, uh, when you're kind of getting started with angel investing, reviewing deals, looking at things, that's a, that's a great tool. Okay, that is your number one North Compass star. Okay, your North Star right there is who else is investing? Okay, who else invested previously? Are those previous investors investing again? If not, why? Who are these new investors coming in the round, right? Because let me tell you that Founders Fund, Sequoia, all these big names listen, for them to lead and invest in a round, we are talking months. We are talking months of due diligence that's just short of giving the founder a colonoscopy, okay? (laughs) We are talking about custom dashboards, every metric that they would want to see. It's actually closed. It's actually proprietary. They won't even share what those VCs want. Then they got to get like nine people all in a room that all say yes, okay? When Founders Fund's leading around, you had a bunch of people that are sitting in a room who all said yes, okay and that is tough to do okay after all of that due diligence so that's not to be taken lightly in fact that's a great way to help you get started investing when some of these investors are in the round now how did they how did these things happen right with voyager and everything else well this is not really looking like a regular SaaS company okay this is not a collaboration tool this is not a notion or a slack or one of these things These VCs just probably are out of their element with cold storage, custody, audit process, all these type of things that are really probably new to them. And they probably just took some people at their word. And when you're at the early stages, um, like we are, we don't get a lot of information rights. Okay, We can't really go into the line-by-line financials of a company that's raising a seed round. Okay, nor do I, to be honest with you, nor do I really even want to, okay? Um, especially at, at the, the valuations and the amounts that we're talking about, okay? Our check size is one hundred dollars to $500,000, okay? We can't really get into the financials. We can get high-level burns. We can go into, with the founder, uh, whichever they want to share about their overall monthly burn, what can we tighten up. There's certain things that you can do from a distance, but we can't really dig in and get there as far as like line by line inflows and outflows for the company. So they probably just missed it with the rehypothecating and all of the merry-go-round of pushing it over here and taking another loan. And when you when you put it on a sheet of assets and liabilities, it's tough. You know, it's it's tough to really dig in. But if you are on a board, if you're a VC and you're on a board, uh, which I hope to be one day. It would be nice to really have the full picture, all right? And maybe that you could stop some of that damage uh, before it starts
0: back to the show in a moment. The lead sponsor of this show is Swan Bitcoin. And Swan are making it easy to buy Bitcoin and also learn about Bitcoin. Now, particularly if you are a high net worth individual or investor, consider Swan Private. This is a special service for high net worth individuals and some business owners who are looking to stack larger amounts of sats with a concierge, a person you can pick up the phone and call. There's all kinds of benefits that come with being a Swan Private member for those of you buying larger amounts of Bitcoin. With Swan Private, you have access to, a special community where there are swan private webinars there is research reports that go out to swan private members and just having that person who can hold your hand while they talk you through the process of bitcoin or even help you with your self-custody that is available over at swanprivate.com Now, when it comes to hardware, CoinKites.com have a range of Bitcoin hardware and accessories. So most notably is the cold card. This is a very well-known and reputable hardware signing device, previously known as hardware wallet. The cold card is a very versatile and reliable performer. You can plug it into the wall, you can plug it into your computer if you're a beginner, you can use a micro SD card, or you can even use NFC. So there's all kinds of features and options that you have available to you if you're using the cold card. It is really cool in that you can set it up without phoning home to the manufacturer. You can set it up yourself. So that's a really cool feature. You can get your own cold card or cold cards over at coinkite.com. Use the code Levera for a discount on your cold cards. And finally, a reminder about a big European Bitcoin conference coming up. It's called BTC Prague. I'll be one of the hosts, so I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be June 8th to 10th in Prague in the Czech Republic. This is going to be a massive three-day event. There'll be all kinds of people there. There will be developers, there'll be newbies, there'll be whales, there'll be Bitcoin miners, there'll be business insiders and developers. You can go there, connect. Make friends, make connections, also watch some of the amazing talks. There'll be more than sixty world class speakers and a hundred companies going there. It'll be a relaxed summer atmosphere. You can get some Czech beer and it'll be really affordable also. So go to btcprague.com, use code Levera to get your discounted ticket, and I'll see you in the Citadel there. And now back to the show with Muzz. Right, because once you're on a board, then you theoretically you should I mean you should have right to see more information from what's going on in the company, whether that's financial statements, whether that is, you know, other contractual information or agreements and things, you know, really what's going on in the company. But that said, you you know, you could still fall victim to a liar, right? Like it could just be that SBF and them were just straight up lying or, you know, omitting or just being misleading about the way things were such that FTX and those in that example was just maybe a, a really
1: just this freak case. I just had my first personal situation uh where a founder was completely very dishonest with me. Um, you know, I take everyone's word for it. I'm a very trustworthy, easygoing guy. Um, you know, I guess it's trust but verify, right? Uh, you know, and uh perhaps it's the I same, should right? yeah. but you know, in this world there's there's only so much you can do. And um it's kind of shocking uh that somebody would, would really just just lie outright. So, you know, even though Bitcoiners have good hearts and they're special people, definitely something to put in the file manager for the future.
0: Right. And I look, to be clear as well, there, there have been scams. And um, I know you're a 2013er, just like I, I'm a 2013er. And I recall looking on Bitcoin Talk and seeing scams all the time. Like there were just total scams. And in the earlier days, I remember there was even this whole, the infamous Butterfly Labs, right? And so this is where the two weeks joke came from like that people were saying where is my minor and, and the, the the joke was ah oh, it'll be it'll be coming in two weeks and that's mm-hmm. that's where this joke actually came from so people and i, I mean it, it also came from like the general kind of software life cycle thing where people just kind of they're asked to kind of put their finger in the mouth to kind of say oh how long is that going to take oh yeah two weeks okay let's just say two weeks right but um yeah I, and of course that's where bitcoiners have this whole saying don't trust verify which is, I believe it's like a, a play on the Russian saying, which is trust, but verify. Or was that, a, I think it was, a, it was also a US president who famously said that also. But nevertheless, you know, people can scam. And just because somebody's Bitcoin only doesn't mean they're not a scammer, right? As, as our friend uh, Michael Goldstein says, everyone's a scammer. So, you know, important for us all to think about that. So one other question that I think is interesting, we like to think of ourselves, you know, we talk about Austrian economics, we talk about being low time preference, being patient. And I guess it's easy to say one thing, but then when we're in a bear cycle, that can get more difficult, right? And there can, and I think historically, there have been times where, let's say venture capitalists might have pushed companies to go and do things that maybe were not very low time preference, right? Like obvious examples might be even in the scaling wars in 2016, 17, maybe there was pressure from venture capitalist firms onto companies, whether that's Coinbase or others, to try to raise the block size and you know take that easy way out, right? And so- I'm curious your thought there, like, do you see that as it's, you know, people can say they think long term, but actually when rubber meets the road, they're not that able to do that? Yeah,
1: you know, I actually have a valid Gox claim uh, right now. So I'm with you in terms of the uh, the old school scams. I never bought one of those butterfly uh, labs machines. But, uh, you know, I I was hoping that those days were kind of over um you know there was the quadriga there was big vern with cripsy you know there was a lot of other things that went down you know btce or whatever but you know i was really hoping that these venture-backed you know top tier tier one vc kind of backed companies uh were really doing the right thing fortunately you know i didn't i didn't have any funds on there but you know, I I really thought it was over. And if you saw like BlockFi's last deck, I mean, it was like 68 pages, you had to be like a neuroscience to figure out what the hell was going on in there, in their relationship with that stuff. And sure enough, it's the same old story, you know, and will people learn this time? Probably not. You know, I I, I don't know until they they just can't do it anymore. I'm sorry, I forgot your question.
0: Yeah, so I was just getting at that idea that, um, you know, when times get tough, is that really when people get tested? And Whether that is the temptation to just go shit coining, whether it's a temptation to, you know, in in an exchange where maybe they go fractional, obviously fraudulent, but, uh, you know, I think that's also something to really think about, right? Like, are we capable of really playing the long game? It's one thing to say we're playing the long
1: game, but, you know, is everyone playing the long game? So in terms of boards and pressure, that comes much later. Okay, so no early stage company or a series A, even a series B, those investors, uh, their board members, uh, whatever the governance is, it's very limited on what they can force them to do okay they couldn't force uh okay you know they can't force someone like uh corey to add ethereum to swan okay it's just not possible like you're just not in that situation after you've raised you know series d and e and everything else down the line okay you can be forced out of your company as a CEO. Those are the things that I find very interesting is how does uh, Travis Kalanick get forced out of Uber? How do these companies, you know, you know, you, you take a CEO and you install someone else at the much later stages. But early on, it's really difficult, really impossible to assert that sort of influence. OK, and there's really no guarantee that any Bitcoin company isn't going to start getting into nonsense. Okay, and we saw it. We saw it recently with uh, Casa um, getting into nonsense. And there's even some companies in the space. I think I think maybe BitWage uh, has wavered from a a Bitcoin only company to other things, Uh, even beloved companies. Right. Everyone loves BitRefill. You know, and then you look at what BitRefill accepts and they accept other things. Right. And, uh, you know, he's a great guy and he has another story. He says this is what our users want and, and whatever it is. So there's really no guarantees in the case of like a Kraken. They just don't have to innovate. You know, um, the easiest way to not do new things, OK, is to just add garbage, okay so you know cracking plateaus and like what can they do they can increase leverage trading and they could just increase the amount of junk that they sell right now you look at somebody you look at a company like swan swan is innovating swan private iras okay retirement products you know getting into things like you know, wills and trusts and other sort of becoming an actual financial services company without ever wavering on the Bitcoin only side of it. That's true innovation. Because what would be easy is to just start throwing crap out there. You know what I mean? And selling junk, right? And if you're not going to do that, then you come up with new ways, right? You release a debit card or a credit card or other sort of tools to become that all in one Bitcoin Neo bank that everyone's out there trying to do. So we could invest in a company that ends up adding nonsense, you know, and it's not our fault if they do it, but it's just life.
0: Right. And there's all kinds of competitive pressure out there. And at the same time, you know, companies have to, you know, they have to try to be profitable, or at least try to get to that stage, get to that level of being profitable, while at the same time dealing with being a part of the space and trying to contribute in the space. I know there are, you know, in some ways, people in the community can get really like very purity signaling or very purity testing about, they can get really strong about purity testing companies. But at the same time, I think the companies that exist in the space, they also need to make a profit too. So it's kind of like, yeah, it can get tricky. Right. And, you know, and we already know just in general, like the failure rate for these companies, for companies is quite high. So, and that's even built into the model, right? Obviously with VC, and the model is essentially that, you know, a lot of these companies are not going to make it. So
1: that's kind of rough, uh, but, that's, but that's part of business, right? Oh, man, the death rate. Oh, you know, everyone likes to talk about died suddenly. That's actually pretty funny, <laughs> you know, died suddenly with your startup. Man, that's really funny. No, but um, it's the truth. And we haven't had anyone die suddenly just yet, at least not through Lightning Ventures, right? I mean, through my personal investments and all sorts of other things, right? The next HR startup in Southeast Asia, all of these things that had all the makings, you know, they were in YC and they had all these great investors. And, you know, now they they dissolve and they unwind and uh, it's on a consolidated tax form against hopefully uh, all your winners right so so they they are statistically supposed to die and boy i really don't want them to so luckily uh they haven't yet and hopefully they don't
0: right yeah and you know it could just be that a company fails to just kind of get traction and so eventually they just you know wrap up and especially now as i'm sure you're aware Bitcoin has these big bull and bear cycles. I think historically, it's fair to say that that has been the case. So then do you believe that presents a unique challenge for a Bitcoin entrepreneur? Or do you
1: just think that's just, you know, it's not that unique? I mean, it's kind of in every industry, right? I mean, if you're, if you're a home builder, let's just, if you're a housing builder, you're, you're familiar with market cycles. Uh, there's times when the pre-builds are, are sold out, you know, and then there's times where they sit. Right. Housing is a great example. You know, real estate agents, construction. I mean, there's high tide and low tide uh, everywhere you look with everything. You know, with Bitcoin, it's it's not terrible. If you've been in this for a while, you don't even care what the price is. I mean, to be honest with you, I could care less. I'm sure you could care like it really doesn't even affect you. It doesn't matter. It's an arbitrary number. You know, I mean, I can get a little emotional about stocks, if I have a stock or a recent IPO, because that's real, right? You know, a thousand shares of Rent the Runway is not a thousand shares of Rent the Runway, like one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. Uh, So those type of things can bother me, but the price of Bitcoin, it doesn't. It's just a good time to build, and it's an even better time to invest. Uh, This is when you want to invest, when everything is frothy and hot and great that's when those valuations, you know, you can get kind of roped into something that might be on the high side. And I'm being nice by saying on the high side, but right now, you know, things slow down, they contract. I actually really like this environment because for example, when things were hot, okay. And we talked to a founder and we like the company, we're a small team here. Okay. So by the time that we circle back to that founder, 10 days later, Uh, hey, listen, we're ready to go. We're ready to do something. Oh, the round's full. We'll talk to you next time. Um, And that was was the case many times. And now we can circle back with a founder four to six weeks later, and there's still room in the round. And they're still happy to talk to us. And things are taking a little bit longer to close, but deals are still happening. I mean, companies are still getting funded. It's just It's just more challenging, right? Um, Just like anything, if you can get through this period, if you can persevere, right, whether you're investing in Bitcoin companies or whether you're building them, uh, whatever you're doing, if you can get through this, the other side of it, which, you know, it's funny after you're in a bear market for a while, you can't even remember the bull, right? Can you remember what it feels like to those $5,000 pump days? 3, I, I, I've lost, I've you know, the memory is so funny how you forget those times.
0: Yeah. And look, I think everyone gets sucked in, right? And it, even in different places in the Bitcoin ecosystem, right? Whether you are a miner or whether you are a... An investor in companies, whether you're just you know stacking sats, obviously, we, which all of us are, you know, as your advice is always stack sats first, right? We're talking about investing in companies, but it's important to have your stack of sats before you even think about purchasing or looking at Bitcoin, any kind of Bitcoin equity, right? But uh, yeah, look, I, I think I, I echo a lot of your sentiment. I think after you've been in the game for a while, you are a little bit more numb to the price movements because you've you, you've kind of been on that roller coaster for a while, so. You know, it's like that meme with uh, I think they've got that meme of uh, Mr. Bean on the roller coaster, and he's very lackadaisical, and all the people around him are freaking out and losing their minds, and that's like a classic. You know, once you've been through a cycle or two, you sort of, you know, you become more like Mr. Bean. So, one other area I thought was really interesting, I saw you were critiquing uh, chainalysis. I want to hear more about this. So, what's your what's your
1: beef there? It's just such a terrible company. You know, I I got my somebody had sent me a deal for it. And just reading it was so disappointing. It was just, I I mean, I almost vomited. This is a fairly new MacBook here. I almost ruined the thing. Just looking at their prior rounds of funding, you know, this company is worth billions of dollars. The investors who've invested, their memo, their deck, their entire thesis is to help governments enforce taxes. you know that's like that's blatant in the memo. It was so shocking. I was just like so disgusted by it, you know and uh, and it's always kind of put as oh we're gonna, this is gonna stop the bad guys and this is gonna whatever. And you know their whole Tam is governments around the world, and people who want KYC free Sats, I don't like the term KYC free, but I don't know what else to say. Or, or people who you know respect their privacy, want financial sovereignty. They're just going to get in bed with every government around the world to just enforce it. And it's sad. It's pathetic. I could never invest in a company like that.
0: Yeah, I think it 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 does bring that whole question as well. And I see people cr- criticizing on Twitter. As for example, they'll say. Um, You know, the whole idea of Bitcoin is meant to be this sly roundabout way, right? As an example. And I think part of the approach I see is, of course, I think being able to be private with Bitcoin matters. I'm not against non-KYC coins or, you know, unregistered sats, let's say. But I also see it as we need to build adoption. And I think having enough adoption and having enough mindshare is important. I think, you know, I think this idea that people can exclusively come in only from non-KYC, I don't know how realistic it is, right? I think a lot of people, you know, and maybe I could be wrong, right? Like, I think a lot of people who came in today came in through KYC and then later they learn about, oh, privacy. Now that now they learn about why these things are important. So I don't know. I mean, I'm, yeah, but, but at the same time, I, you know, obviously, I, you know, I dislike these uh, chain surveillance companies. Um and I think they are trying to play this kind of regulatory game where they insert themselves in and tell governments, oh, look, we're necessary, or they tell banks, oh, you need to do this. Otherwise, you're not compliant with the law and everything, you know, but for better or worse, I still think getting people in is the important thing. But I'm all for people getting into peer to peer, you know, that's how I see it anyway.
1: When, how old were you when you had your first job? You remember the first time you ever worked, oh, or fourteen years, eight months. All right, so I as uh, I as well. I think it was uh, I think it was fifteen and change uh, in Arizona was the legal limit that you could you could start working part time. So you know there was not. I didn't have a driver's license. I didn't have an ID. I didn't have any of that. So you know if somebody was going to purchase some Bitcoin, right, even a nominal uh, small amount, it's not like everyone can KYC from birth. OK, so there's a huge amount. There's a lot of people who don't have driver's licenses. You know, I was just in, in Africa. There's a lot of idealist people uh, out there yeah. that, that need this, that need to be able. I mean, there's 40 percent is the is the recorded inflation rate in Ghana. That, that's what they tell the public is, is a real number. I can't even imagine what the real, real number is, you know, and they just they need this. And you can't always go out and, you know, upload the front and back of your driver's license and a passport and, you know, your thumbprint and a face scan and everything else. It's just, it's just not possible.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think there's certainly a lot of people who literally cannot KYC, even if they wanted to, I'm hopeful to see more non-KYC and peer-to-peer stuff. So, you know, I'm curious to see that grow i think part of it is just like because it's such a cyclical industry we tend to just kind of get a lot of people who come in when the price is going up I you know i wish we could get more people coming in you know in bear cycles so that they sort of get to experience more of a real bitcoin sense rather than only seeing it in the in the in the crazy bull cycle times
1: yeah i mean that's why the dca is king right i mean once you just turn that on you, you know it helps you it helps any sort of new coiner Uh, get over that price deal, right? Because the price is down, you're excited because you're buying another X amount of dollars that day. And the price is up, you're excited because you bought X amount of dollars for the past however long, you know? And it just, it doesn't matter what it is. You just are in it, Right um but you know instead of kyc it should be kyf it should be know your food uh they should take they should take that to the grocery store and they should really you know id every freaking kernel of corn and uh and chicken that's there you know what i mean and stop worrying about you know uh, Aunt Mary's $300 Bitcoin purchase. <laughs> right.
0: So, I mean, looking out at, it, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, right? But it looks like we're, you know, we're in a bear cycle and we don't know how long that'll be. It could be a year, maybe two years. We, we don't know. Do you have any ideas on what people out there can be doing to help grow the movement? What kinds of things should we be doing
1: uh, to grow the movement? Now, this is interesting because grow the movement. Okay. And there's a lot of this kind of kumbaya uh, in Bitcoin. Uh, with this, grow the movement, and like that stuff is all like well and good. But what do you mean by grow the movement? Like Bitcoin's going to grow on its own. Like you know, everyone wants to talk about what you know, what nation's going to adopt it next. Chris Hunter gave a great keynote in in um, El Salvador, which is like it doesn't matter. Okay, we don't need to be asking uh, permission. We need to be asking forgiveness. You know, Bitcoin needs to spread to a point where they can't turn it off. They can't arrest everyone, you know, and it doesn't matter which, you know, which nation brings on. So when you say like, you know, help the ecosystem or support the ecosystem, what do you mean by that?
0: So what I mean is by helping pull people into the idea of saving Bitcoin rather than, for example, there are a lot of people right now who save into property or stocks or worst bonds. And those people could be served if they were to just start saving with Bitcoin and take a long-term view, I think. And I think maybe this kind of gets to that idea that like people like Corey mentioned, this idea of trying to win the race or run the race to avoid having like a war. So this idea of building enough people who are using Bitcoin, ideally non-custodially, such that it's harder and more difficult for the whole thing to get shut down. I think from my point of view, I don't view Bitcoin as being inevitable. And so I think if I can help spread that right in the same way that for me there was you know if it was an article or something that got me to see Bitcoin in a certain way, are there ways that we can do that for other people to help them? Because as much as people may don't may not like the term of marketing, I think we still have to market Bitcoin to help uh, grow this thing so that there's adoption, so that you have trade partners, so that it's more normalized and therefore it's less likely that the use of
1: Bitcoin will be, let's say, criminalized or punished or overregulated. So we're from uh, the same Bitcoin alumni, uh, the same Bitcoin alumni school year. And uh, do you remember uh, screaming from the mountains and the hilltops and everywhere else in the world and everyone that you met back in that, you know, I don't know, 2013 to 2015? I don't know. Uh, wh- whatever that, that period was when you discovered Bitcoin and it was so hard to buy. It was so difficult. It was so difficult to spend, to buy, to do it. It was a question of what can you do with your Bitcoin, right? That was the number one question. You remember that, right? Yeah, for sure. Didn't you get sick of it? Didn't eventually you just say, you know what? I'm retiring. The buy Bitcoin <laughs> speech, it's over. The Muzz buy Bitcoin speech has been retired for many years, okay? It's gotta be like, oh, it's gotta be a crazy situation to come out of retirement and to give someone that speech. And uh, they got to discover it on their own. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to do what I can working with founders and, and funding companies. That's, that's my passion. Like, that's what I love to do. I mean, I love what I do. You know, you have this amazing show and platform. You're an incredible host and moderator. And that's what you do. Like, you're doing it. But for me to go knocking door to door to the cell phone guy and the Italian restaurant and the, the cannabis shop and everything else and just try and onboard them is very tough. How do you get somebody? I mean, maybe everyone should have a goal. You know, maybe maybe the number is 21 people a year. If every Bitcoiner tried to onboard 21 people a year, do them all in January, you know, do them all in December, right? <laughs> if you're late with your homework. But if you can get 21 people to download, pick an app and get them comfortable. Maybe that's like a a bare minimum, but um, (laughs) it's tiring. It's tiring answering the same questions over and over again to people, you know? Yeah, look, I mean, certainly there's
0: aspects of what you're saying I agree with, right? Obviously it can get tiring. It can be frustrating trying to, uh, some people could even frame it, uh, what's the saying? Um, Throwing pearls before swine, right? Like there's this idea that you're trying to teach somebody and they're just not ready to receive the message. But I, I also see it as sometimes you have to try to go there and uh, try to flip over all the stones and figure out who's actually willing to learn. And I think there are things that we can do that help. So for example, I used to be an organizer of Bitcoin Sydney when I was in Sydney and uh, and now here in dubai'm I'm, I'm one of the organizers for Bitcoin Dubai and I you know I try to help teach people about non-custodial wallets and all these things. So I think we have to remember there there were we can't judge ourselves only by the failures, right There were people who let's I'm sure there were people you spoke to in 2013 who later you know, bought some Bitcoin and now they're a Bitcoiner. And there are people who I helped and they are now doing their own things, whether that's creating their own content or their own meetup or their own conference. And I helped influence them in some way. And so I think that's that's the sense in which I'm saying it. I'm saying it more like, let's let's try to grow the movement in terms of users of Bitcoin because I think having more people in uh who are trying out who, who are trying to use Bitcoin and will
1: Maybe go to defend Bitcoin in certain senses. That helps all of us, I think. So those groups like the uh, the Bitcoin Policy Institute, these type of you know groups that can really meet with elected officials and kind of educate them. I think that that's great, right? They're all nonprofit. You know, as long as I don't I don't know what they're saying in those meetings. I, I imagine it's it's all good. But, like, what 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 did this Satoshi uh, – what was the post?
0: If you don't believe me, I don't have time to
1: convince you. <laughs> you know, even he got fed up or she or whatever or them or it or I don't know, uh, got fed up, you know, because it's it's like enough already. And I think if somebody comes to you and says, hey, you know, I heard that you know something about Bitcoin. Can, can you show me something? I'll drop whatever I'm doing for that. You know what I mean? Always. But this sort of, like, tireless, like, oh, you don't have any Bitcoin and then they're going to, you know <sighs> – I gave my father like $50 worth of Bitcoin. I thought I set him up with Moon. I have no idea how he lost it. And now he's just like a huge pain in my ass about this like $50 that's gone. So I don't. maybe not everyone is meant to be a Bitcoiner, all right? You know, maybe it's not for everyone. You know, what is the universal sort of Zen? Like you don't discover Bitcoin. Bitcoin comes to you, you know, <laughs> when you're ready to receive it. I can appreciate uh,
0: and, that. It's kind of like the saying, uh, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, right? Like, I think it's kind of like, It's like this idea that I think at a minimum, we have to, as you, as you do, we have to make ourselves available for people who want to learn. Um, It's not to say that everybody has to go out there and be an evangelist and door knocking and so on. Um, But, I still, I still see it as a good thing. If people do want to take it on, I know it's work. It's, you know, it's you know like organizing a meetup or organizing a conference or an event or some way of trying to bring knowledge or uh, bring mindshare to Bitcoin. I think it helps, but uh, I appreciate it's not for everybody and it, maybe it's not their skill set or it's not their passion. It's not their interest. So I can definitely appreciate that.
1: I also think it's probably the best time ever um, to work for a Bitcoin company. Um, so a lot of people out there who are in jobs that maybe they're miserable. You know, maybe they're doing some something they're not passionate about and they're just kind of going through the motions, you know, they're not challenged. There are so many good Bitcoin jobs out there right now and amazing companies, you know, and and everyone's hiring and it's like such an exciting time. And even just kind of shifting from your fiat job that you really you need. Right, you need your job, um, but you're not very passionate about it. Even just shifting your employment and just looking at Bitcoiner jobs, right? Which I think is another um, Swan product, and that you yeah. guys are jobs.com.
0: Just for anyone, yeah,
1: Bitcoinerjobs.com. Just, I mean, I got the email It came out today. I'm just like, wow, you know, I'm not even looking for a job. I'm like, should I do that? <laughs> <laughs> but there, there's some really amazing stuff, you know. So it's not about necessarily uh, the bullhorn uh, man on the street. But maybe it's like you know what? I'm sick of healthcare administration. You know, I'm sick of like being an accounting assistant. You know what I mean? Why don't I like be a junior financial analyst for name the company, right? And and start. You know, that's that. I think would be that's like a number one thing. There should be no Bitcoin jobs available because those are the coolest, most interesting, fun uh, companies on the planet that you can work for, and those should all be scooped up. They should be forced to do that other job because there are no Bitcoin companies hiring, right, which is kind of how it used to be. There was very few jobs. And now there's just a plethora.
0: Yeah, that's a good comment. There are a lot more Bitcoin jobs available right now. So it's a great time um, for people, especially I would say, there are some people where maybe they make that calculation, I'm going to earn more in my fiat job. And you know, I'm just gonna chop wood, carry water, right? I'm going to stack, I'm going to mine my fiat in the fiat mines, and I'm going to stack sats. And that's all I'm going to do. But there, there are some people who maybe you just can't stop thinking about Bitcoin and you just you're just your mind is so consumed by this that you would really be passionate and love to work in a bitcoin company for this kind of person bitcoinerjobs.com or, or any of the other platforms is a great um option out there um so let's uh wrap it up now and have some closing thoughts from um from you Mike and just hear a little bit about you know i guess as a as an investor in the space do you have any tips for people out there let's say if they're a founder and maybe they are making that decision about whether they should raise funds, you know, or any tips for them. Um, or if you have any, uh, any tips on what does a successful Bitcoin business look like?
1: Yeah. And by the way, that block clock behind you is so cool. I got to get one of those. I just saw it. Uh, I just saw it flip over, man. That's so cool. Um, so founders um, that are looking to raise, um, first off, you know, be strategic, Okay, um, get a really tight one paragraph about what you do and have that down, have that down. Because when you start emailing people, you got like 30 seconds of like, what do you do? Why should anyone care? Okay, and just get that tight. Don't don't reach out to somebody with this giant, you know, 37 page uh, document of, of everything else. Just get get that dialed in. And then make sure that you are in a good position to actually raise. Okay. Um, Make sure that you are incorporated and you're incorporated properly. Okay. LLCs don't work with the exception of some mining stuff. LLCs are not good. Okay. So maybe even reach out. To someone like myself or maybe uh the uh bitcoin or Ventures crew or a, a vc in the space and just say hey you know here's what i'm building i'm getting ready to incorporate do you have any advice right i would never not respond to that email okay and you know get yourself set up okay and right and in the situ- the right place i i mean it's not good when somebody you don't know you've never spoken with they somehow got a link to your calendly you know, they book a spot, you don't even know what it is. And then you get there and they're not even really in a position to, to raise. So don't do things like that. Have like a have a shared drive somewhere that has a lot of stuff, your certificate of incorporation, maybe you have wiring instructions, maybe you have a bank, maybe you have some metrics or financials, maybe not, maybe you have a marketing plan, maybe you have a business plan, a deck, Um, some KPIs that you've been monitoring, something, right? Get whatever you have in one area so you can easily share it uh, with a VC uh, or somebody who's a potential investor, okay? Kind of get some of this stuff ready to where, you know, one-click Google Drive, and then you can open it up. You can go through everything. You can look and see. That's great. Not a lot of this back and forth and, and nonsense, and then like we were talking about earlier you know set realistic goals set milestones you know think about just what you need you know think about if you're by yourself maybe you want to find a co-founder first apply to the accelerators apply to pleb lab apply to or participate in bolt fun bolt fun is great now look you've got wolf uh in new york city Um, if there's another one, I can't think of it. The Tim Draper one, uh, the Bitcoin accelerator. I know he does a lot of crypto stuff, but he has a Bitcoin, uh, devoted kind of program there. And you're going to learn a ton of stuff in there. You know, if you go through the Draper program, uh, which I went through the Draper heroes myself, that's not a Bitcoin thing. That's just years ago when I'm trying to just understand what founders do and how to invest. I went through that. Um, you're going to learn a ton of stuff. I mean, you're going to learn a lot, okay. And it's not a waste of time, even if you don't get funding from it, okay. So there's a lot of these tools out there that you can just kind of apply to, get in the fold, learn as much as you can, um, and just keep building. Um, but what I wouldn't do is is rush it, and then you know st- start emailing uh, all of these uh, Bitcoin VCs uh, and just start raising before you're incorporated, before you have a deck or anything else to share. And you've done a lot of this stuff. Um, And there's plenty of other accelerators, too, that are not necessarily Bitcoin focused, but sometimes Bitcoin companies get in there, you know, and just going through this process helps you actually understand your business. Just filling out the stuff for YC will help you get everything done. Okay, because they're going to ask you the questions that you need to think about. Maybe you've never thought about your TAM. Maybe it just never dawned on you. How big could this be? You know, maybe you've never thought about um, traction or retention or what's our numbers look like after 90 days? How many people uninstall our app? You know what I mean? There's a lot of different kind of exercises that you can go through when you're learning how to be a founder or you're learning this whole thing. Um, so I, I think that that stuff is incredibly helpful. It's don't just focus on the money. There are times when the money matters. Okay. But it's usually not 95% of the time. It's, it's not right then for you, right then for you is like, Forming a team, getting people who are going to work for equity, getting an options pool uh, created, getting a vesting schedule, getting your company set up for success, building something that's at least some sort of an MVP, some sort of a beta, getting something going. And that's not always about, we need a 750K check right now. You know, you can do a lot with a little or nothing. And we talked about some of those alternative fundraising. Uh, things as well plus there's friends and family and you know you can always take um a five thousand dollar check from you know a couple of good friends um careful what terms you set with them if you want them to be your friends afterwards um but there's a million there's a million things that you can do i just wouldn't rush it and don't fixate on the money yeah for sure
0: okay well that's great moz
1: uh where can listeners find you online all right. So our website is ltng.ventures. Lightning Ventures is ltng.ventures. And uh, there's a, an application little thing there. If you want to get in our fold and see some of the stuff that we're working on, or if you're a founder and you're looking to raise, uh, there's a little bit of a form there. We're actually getting ready to redo that and it's going to be a little bit more difficult. But yeah, that's our website. And I'm on Twitter. It's just my name. It's Mike Jarmez. Mike, J-A-R-M-U-Z. Fantastic.
0: Thanks, Maz. Great chatting with you. All right. Thank you. So what do you think? Is Bitcoin venture capital fiat or is it actually compatible with the ideals of Bitcoin? Let us know what you think. Get the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash 444. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the Citadels.